just a few weeks ago, we had our afternoon prayer meeting, uh, a nice uh, social hour after it, over at Mrs. Uh, Copeland's house. And she has been reading a book on the Lord's Prayer and urged me again to go back to the Lord's Prayer and teaching it to our people. Because so often we pray it, and uh, so often we do not consider what we're doing when we really pray through it. And... Uh, what commitments we are making uh, to God when we pray. Uh, I've often collected little things that children say when they get mixed up in trying to repeat the Lord's Prayer when they go to bed at night, and uh, someone has uh, copied down several little things. One little girl was heard to start off, Our Father who art in heaven, herald be thy name. Uh, <laughs> Another one was, little boy was heard to say, Hello, Ed, be thy name. Uh, but worst of all, there was a little girl up in New York, uh, Ed Germain likes this story, where it's easy to get confused anyway. And in her petition, in the Lord's Prayer, she said, Lead us not into Penn Station. <laughs> so it, it, it's always wise to go back to the Lord's Prayer and look at it again. Uh, when we pray it aright, of course, we can have peace. I remember two little girls that were going to sleep one night, and one of them had been a little bit fussy, and uh, their mother was gone, and you know what that means. Uh, one of them said, I'm not going to even sleep tonight. And the other one exclaimed, Why, Lillian, you've got to go to sleep tonight. You need the rest. And the other little girl said, I don't care. I'm not going to sleep. There's no use. I can't even sleep. And she tossed and tumbled in her bed, and her little sister, whose name was Amy, got out of bed and got down on her knees and said her prayers. And when she finished and the light was out, Amy crept back into bed. There was a long silence, and Lillian was still restless and fluffing the pillow and turning over and over. And she said, I can't sleep. There's something wrong with this pillow. I don't know what's the matter with it. And then a sweet little voice of Amy piped up and said, I guess there's not enough prayer in it. <laughs> And uh, that's a good thing. I guess there's not enough prayer in it. And a lot of times there's not enough prayer in uh, our rest. And that's why we don't know more rest. In the 11th chapter of Luke and in the 6th chapter of Matthew, the Lord's Prayer is given, what we call the Lord's Prayer. Actually, the most uh, strict sense of the word, the Lord's Prayer is the one in John 17, which later we will study but uh, the prayer which he taught his disciples to pray is, in, is recorded in both uh, Matthew 6 and in Luke chapter 11. I wanted to begin by reading the Luke chapter 11 version today for two or three reasons. Uh, one is because it, it uh, teaches us uh, uh, to see Jesus at prayer, and if he needed to pray, then how much more do we? And also... Uh, because he gives us a little parable, a parable that teaches us about prayer. And also he instructs us from that parable to be persistent in our prayers, to keep on praying. Now then, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 11. This is the New American Standard Version that I'm reading from. Luke chapter 11, verse 1 following. And it came about that while he was praying in a certain place, 
After he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and then lead us not into temptation. And Jesus said to them, Suppose one of you shall have a friend, and you shall go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he shall answer and say, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot arise and give you anything. I tell you, because he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, that's just his nerve in keeping on asking, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And I say to you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For every one who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it shall be open. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. I can remember still going to a little town in Georgia by the name of Washington, Georgia. I remember going to a graveyard and looking at a tomb marked for the Reverend E.M. Bounds, a man who was a great man of prayer. I can remember the person who taught us growth in the spiritual life at Columbia Seminary a great English Bible teacher by the name of Manfred Gutsky. He used to always be quoting this man, and I read a statement that Bounds had made, and it's worth repeating, because it may point up something that's wrong in the church today and why we do not reach more people for Jesus Christ and why our lives are not more effective and impressive for him. This is what Bounds wrote. 
quote, it may be laid down as an axiom that God needs first of all leaders in the church who shall be first in prayer. Men with whom prayer is habitual and characteristic. Men who know the primacy of prayer. But even more than a habit of prayer, and more than prayer being characteristic of them, church leaders are to be men whose lives are made and molded by prayer, whose hearts and lives are made up of prayer. These are the men, and they are the only men, God can use in the furtherance of his kingdom and the implanting of his message in the hearts of men. We are always looking for methods. God is always looking for men, men of prayer and women of prayer. Listen to this. Our Lord Jesus prayed at his baptism, and this is just a survey of the Gospel of Luke, which I've been doing. He prayed at his baptism. He prayed at the wilderness when he was confronted by the temptations that Satan brought in his way. He prayed before he called his twelve disciples. He prayed at Caesarea Philippi when he revealed to them that he was the Son of God. He prayed on the mountain of transfiguration when he told his disciples that what they thought would become of his earthly kingdom would not be that way, but that he would go the way of the cross to Jerusalem and to death. He prayed when he instructed in the prayer which we read today. He prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And I am sure that Peter, after that terrible denial of his Lord, would have been just like Judas and would have gone out and hanged himself had it not been for the fact that Jesus prayed for him. I've often thought of that. Jesus prayed when he was cruelly nailed to the cross. And it's interesting to see what he prayed for and how he prayed. He did not pray that the pain would be easier for him. He did not pray even that he would be able to bear the pain. But he prayed for those who were hurting him. Do you pray for people who hurt you? Do you pray for those who do not understand you? Look at the bottom of the bulletin. Over on the right-hand side. There is nothing that makes us love a man so much as praying for him. When you can once do this sincerely for any man, you have fitted your soul for the performance of everything that is kind and civil towards him. This will fill your heart with, with a generosity and tenderness that will give you a better and sweeter behavior than anything that is called fine breeding or good manners. By considering yourself as an advocate with God for your neighbors and acquaintances, you would never find it hard to be at peace with them yourself. It would be easy for you to bear with and to forgive those for whom you particularly have implored the divine mercy and forgiveness. That was what was written by William Law 
who was a great man of prayer himself. Well, then Jesus prayed for those who nailed him to the cross. He prayed for his disciples that day when they walked with him on the road to Emmaus. They misunderstood the scriptures and had completely disbelieved the accounts of his resurrection. And yet our Lord prayed for them. And then today, of course, we were introduced to the Lucan version, which is a little shorter uh, uh, version of the Lord's Prayer than that which is recorded in Matthew. There are six petitions uh, in the Lord's Prayer, three that have to deal especially with our relationship with God, and three that have to deal with our own needs and our own warfare with evil. There is also an invocation and a doxology that are added. Uh, over in Scotland, there is an old church, and because the Scots are very famous for always using the Lord's Prayer as a part of worship, and because they are also people who do not wish it to become vain repetition, it is often preached on in the Church of Scotland, the Lord's Prayer, and there is carved into the stone of an old Edinburgh kirk these words. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we should remember first that we have the highest and the most intimate of all relationships, that of a son to his father. We pray our father, and that's important. He didn't teach us to pray my father here as though we wanted him to give us something which might hurt some other member of the family, but we pray our Father. Next, we descend, like going down a ladder, to the worshiper in the temple, and we pray, hallowed be thy name. Let me tell you something that actually happened the other day. I uh, was talking with a foreman of a construction crew of men that were putting down uh, a great uh, amount of steel and concrete. This foreman had, uh, is a Christian, a very sweet and dear man of God whom I've known a long, long time and whom I love very much. He was greatly pained because one of the skilled people who had been out to repair something kept taking the name of Jesus and the name of Christ and the name of God in a blasphemous, irreverent manner. He wanted to correct him, and he couldn't figure out quite how to tactfully do it. And finally he said to the man, Do you know the Lord's Prayer? He knew that this man was a Roman Catholic, and they say the Lord's Prayer very faithfully. And he said, Why, of course, doesn't everyone know the Lord's Prayer? And he said, would you say it with me? And he shrugged and said, all right. And so they started, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then my friend, the construction foreman, said, stop there. Hallowed be thy name. What does that mean? And the man cussed again, and he said, I don't know. And he said, don't you think it has something to do with keeping the name of God holy and dealing reverently with it? And the workman looked puzzled for a moment, 
And he said, you know, I think you're right. And he said, well, I've been listening to you, and I know that you haven't paid attention to it. But don't you believe God would bless you if you reverenced and honored his name like he taught you to here? And the man thanked him for teaching him a lesson. And then they went on with their work. Hallowed be thy name. And then coming lower, it's like the relationship of a citizen to the state. We pray for his kingdom to come. That's his reign over us. And lower still, it's almost like a servant and his master. Thy will be done. Not my will, but thy will be done. I go to him for instructions. I do not go to him to give instructions. And this is something that we should remember. The important thing for us to keep in mind is not that we bombard heaven with messages as to what the Almighty should do. We ought to bombard heaven with pleas that we might do what he wants us to do. That's not the problem, that God is not doing what he should do. The problem is that we're not doing what we should do. The other night when I watched the telecast of the president's news conference, I had just been reading the Newsweek feature article on the assassination attempt on the Pope's life in Rome and of the connection with the Bulgarian secret police and their tie-in with the Russian secret police and the very fact that the man who headed the KGB is now the chief uh, officer of the Soviet government. And it makes you wonder, how can you trust, how can you possibly trust a government who would want to uh, kill a man of peace uh, like the Pope, order his brutal assassination, his murder, uh, a representative of Christ, a representative of good, a representative of peace, our world is in a terrible condition, and these types of people have at their disposal nuclear arms and dreadful biological and chemical uh, agents of warfare. And so we do need to pray. We need to pray earnestly. And again, descending uh, the beggar to the street, what does a beggar need? He prays for his daily bread. In continuing the descent, we come to a debtor. Now, I don't know how many times this comes up now because of the recession. To the debtor and his creditor, forgive us our debts, and we are all indebted to God. And deepest and lowest of all, the captive in chains, deliver us from the evil one. And in this comprehensive prayer, every chord in the gamut of human feeling is struck. And from every relationship in which we stand to God and man, it ascends to heaven, a, short, a sharp, short cry, which we need to keep very much in our mind and in our heart. Now then, Jesus wanted, after he had prayed, and later we'll turn into this uh, more definitely, to show us, I'm sure, that the, the, we don't know who this unnamed disciple was, 
who stumbled up on Jesus. Probably they were walking along, and they came, it says, to a certain place. It must have been a place that Jesus resorted to to pray, where he could come into a place of quiet. Somehow they come up on him praying, and it's different. What if someone walked in the door of the church here and heard us at prayer? How would they feel? Would they think, well, he's simply using archaic King James English and they look like they've got a headache because their eyes are all squinted, uh, their heads are bowed. What are they doing? We need uh, to think about this. I read about two uh, men who were inebriated one Christmas night and they stumbled into an Episcopal church and they came in the back door just at the time when the general confession was being uh, spoken. And it said, we have done those things which we ought not to have done and we have left undone those things which we ought to have done. And one said to the other, I don't know where we are, but it sounds like we're in the right place. <laughs> and, and they were, <laughs> because that's the plight of us all. Uh, here, uh, uh, Jesus is praying. And they know that there's something different about his prayer than that which they hear from the musty Pharisees and the street corner and the 18 different prayers that they made uh, during the three times of the day when they prayed, but that there was something special about the manner in which Jesus prayed that simply touched them deeply and made them to know of his intimate relationship with the Father. And so they wanted to ask him. Evidently, John the Baptist had taught his disciples to pray, and so they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And then it was that he told them that homely little story which I have often spoken on before. I think that Jesus must have gathered this from his own experience as a little boy in the carpenter's shop. He would have lived in back of it. And uh, uh, when nighttime came, Orientals did not like to be out at night. And uh, when night fell, they felt it was time for rest. And so the door was closed and bolted. And then when someone would come at a midnight hour, you know that something is wrong. That's why I call this the midnight cry. I got a telephone call the other night. Uh, it wasn't midnight, but it was not far from it. It was late at night. There was a dear friend who's often here in this congregation, Dr. John High, in the hospital at Duke University Medical Center, faced with an operation by Dr. Saviston, one of the greatest surgeons in the world, to try to prevent a stroke from occurring, which would mean the transplant of a vein from his leg to be grafted into the carotid, where the carotid artery is. And of course, Dr. Hine knew the implications of what could happen if just one little fleck of blood went wrong into the brain. And he said, I want you to promise me you'll be praying. And we prayed on the phone. 
His wife said, will you be praying? And I'm thankful to report that he's to go home today uh, from the hospital and is much improved. And then I got another unusual telephone call, that too late at night. You remember when I went out to Texas, some of you in the congregation last October for a little while? I had uh, been asked by Oral Roberts to go there to look at uh, a research center for the prevention of a uh, cure for cancer, which they're trying to find. And we'd spent the day talking and, and a, a good bit of the time in prayer and had gone to chapel together and I came back to my sister's house. And when I got there, a lady heard I'd been over there and so she came over to the house of my sister. A very beautiful lady, but whose face was as white as chalk and uh, who showed signs of some sickness. And uh, she said to me, I have cancer. And it's located in two areas of my body. They cannot treat both areas at the same time. I have been to the MD Anderson Cancer Research Center and uh, they are treating one of the cancers. They told me the chemotherapy is too strong for me to be treated in the other area now. And they do not give a very optimistic prognosis. And she said, I heard that you had gone someplace to talk about prayer and a cure for cancer. And I wondered if you would pray with me. And so I did talk with her, and I did pray with her, and we read the scriptures together. I don't think I ever met a sweeter, dearer person just on the first few minutes. And she went away. And then my sister called this week late at night, and she said, you remember the friend, Mrs. Baker, who came here to the house and asked you to pray for her? She said she has been to M.D. Anderson for her treatment. They told her that the one cancer which they had been unable to treat before was completely gone, and they found no trace of it whatever. And the doctor said, you're very lucky. She said, I'm not lucky. God has healed me, and Jesus has helped me. And the doctor shrugged and said, you can call it what you want to, but the cancer is gone. I couldn't believe my eyes. And he said, the other cancer that we have been treating, we have to examine this afternoon uh, through a different uh, method of examination. In the afternoon, the nurse came excitedly into her room and did not recognize her and said, where is Mrs. Baker? And she said, I'm Mrs. Baker. And she said, Ms. Baker, I heard you say something about prayer this morning when you were talking to the doctor, and the most amazing thing has happened. The other cancer which we have been treating is gone completely, and the doctor doesn't know what to think about it. And again, the lady said, I know what to think about it. Jesus has healed me, and I want to thank him for it, and I want you to know it. And the woman said, I wish you would go back to your prayer group and tell them to pray for those of us who work trying to find some way to stop this terrible disease because we don't see this happen very often. 
And so the woman came back to the part of Texas where my sister lives, and she said, will you promise me that you will call your brother and tell him what happened? Because I'm going down the list, and I'm asking every person that I've asked to pray for me, I'm going back to them and thanking them that God has heard and answered prayer thus far. And so she is taking courage. Do we really seriously take what God can do by prayer? This prayer comes at midnight. Someone comes with a need. Someone comes with a need. Beware of the temptation John Wesley learned as a young man of thinking that you draw closer to God if you get away from other people in the sense that you do not try to bear their burdens or try to help them. That was the great foolish mistake that was made by monasteries during the Middle Ages. They thought that by building up high walls around them and staying away from other people that they were doing God a favor by praying when really they needed to be helping more. Uh, if one is much burdened uh, and he comes to you for help, uh, he can put you in a position to go to the one who can bring help. If you notice in the simple story that Jesus told, the man arrives at midnight, and I guess when the books are open, that's when most prayers are going to be uh, looked at because we usually don't cry out to God much in prayer until we get into trouble or something happens. It ought not to be that way, but that seems to be the way it is. Anyway, he, he came to his friend, and his friend did not have any bread in the house to feed him. Oriental hospitality is a very sacred responsibility, and so this needed to be corrected. And the friend uh, in need had uh, come to a friend who did not have in his possession what he needed to satisfy him, but he was a friend indeed. He got out of bed and went over to his neighbor's house to get what he needed in order to satisfy his friend's need. Uh, now, this is someone using the prayer to help someone else. I have read that when Michelangelo, the great painter, painted, that he attached a candle to the top of his, uh, uh, like a miner's cap, to the front so that his own shadow wouldn't fall across the canvas and he could keep it out of his painting. And uh, we need to try to keep selfish desires out of prayer and to pray more for others and what their needs are. Our prayers are altogether too selfishly inclined. Not that God does not permit us to pray for those things that we need and even want, but we should be praying for others. And so this man goes as an example uh, to pound on the door of a friend that he knows has got bread. And you know, I think they must have been good friends. And he knows that he's a churlish kind of person.
who isn't going to like the idea a bit of disturbing the whole household and getting up in the middle of the night and going to the door, which is already shut. I don't know how many grumpy friends I've got that I have to get through the first half a dozen no's before they finally do what I ask them to do. The other day, almost an exact replica of this thing here happened in my office when someone came to me of someone who had a need that had to be met or they could not be enrolled in school. And I had to call a friend. And I knew just as well what was going to happen when I called as it could be. I had to go through the first baloney of being refused every way you could. And then after they get tired of that, then they usually break over. Pray for college presidents and business managers and development officers. They have to go through this every day of the world, it seems like. Uh, it's awful to have to go beg uh, like this. Uh, but here the man goes and he beats on the door and wakes everyone up. And, and uh, uh, so the man inside said, go away. Go away from here. My, the door is closed. That means that we're closed down for the night. Now, why didn't he go away? Why didn't he say, well, I'm embarrassed, I've created this commotion, I'm going to go away? He didn't go away because of the need of his friend. It wasn't to satisfy himself, but it was to satisfy his friend. And he thought, I can't go back there. The poor guy's hungry and he came there and it's night. And then he turned around and beat on that door again and said, Oh, come on, I know you got bread in there. Now get up and give me the bread. Well, the man got up. He had asked for three loaves. The Oriental custom would be one loaf for his friend to eat, another loaf so that they could share it together and talk, and then a third loaf to show that you had an abundance. But I expect that when that fellow came to the door, he had an armload of bread. <laughs> and he said, Look. Here, take this bread and go and, and, and be happy. Go, take as much as you need, he said. Take it and go on back home and satisfy the man. And that happens a lot of times. The other person that I was trying to get some money for the other day, one of my friends who was asking me to ask about this money, held up one finger for 1000 And I know this person so well, I said 1500 <laughs> Hoping I'd get a thousand. And by that time, they'd been so mad at me, they gave me the 1500 And <laughs> then you have to go through this. Well, it's sort of like this story here. It's a midnight call. And we thank God for these calls that awaken you uh, because they create within you an action that you are to do something to help someone else with. And you're to thank God for this opportunity that you have, an opportunity to go to God. There's more, uh, I'm sure, that when the books are opened in heaven, we're going to be so surprised that some of the great famous celebrities in the world have not really been the, the people who have been the prime movers of the great good that's been done. But it's going to be people who have been over there in the prayer room or people who have been praying in their room at home and people that you never heard of who loved the Lord so much that they bombarded his throne with what was needed. Now then, this man who got up gave what was needed, and that's important because we're asking a good, 
heavenly Father. And a good father, said Jesus, is not going to give the wrong gift to his children. If he asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a servant. If he asks for bread, he's not going to give him a stone. But he will give him what's good. And that's important. I don't think I'd ever pray again if I knew God was going to give me exactly what I asked for because I don't have enough sense to ask for the right things. But I want it done according to his will. If you study the pagan gods and goddesses, they got into trouble all the time because the gods gave them exactly what they asked for. Tenethius uh, prayed for immortality. You remember that? But he forgot to pray for eternal youth to go along with it. And so he just got older and older and older and older and older and older and older until he got weary of that. But he couldn't reverse it because that's what he had prayed for. Well, who wants that kind of thing? Simile was a pagan de uh, deity, the mother of Dionysius, and she prayed that she might see Zeus, the great god in person, the god of lightning. She did and got incinerated when she saw him. Midas is one that's like today with a price of gold like it is. Midas prayed that everything he touched would turn to gold, and it did. So when he got ready to take a drink of water, it turned to gold. When he got ready to eat some mashed potatoes, it turned to gold. And he did himself in. <laughs> but you see, we have a good Heavenly Father that we go to, and he knows what things we have need of. And we ask him to supply those needs, and he brings us unto himself. Now, because we've got a very important session meeting tomorrow night, I want to read in closing an example of prayer about a good meeting of the session. I saw a picture the other day in someone's office of six elders in the church of Drum Tocti in Scotland. A little kirk that I uh, went all the way out of the way to go to one time because I wanted to see this, uh, this church session room. Uh, here in this little church where a father had become estranged from a daughter who had done a terrible thing and had run away and gotten into sin. And a lot of it was the father's undoing because he was such a hard and difficult person to get along with, with his very strict piety and his ununderstanding heart. Well, finally, by the grace of God, I'll have to cut it short, the girl is brought back home through the letter of a friend of the family who wrote her and told her that her old father was dying away. Her mother had died when she was only eight years old, and her father, who was a highland shepherd, had raised her. And uh, so when she had finally come back home, the old man was so thrilled that later when Flora Campbell was telling Margaret how the neighbor who wrote the letter about her father's welcome to her when she came back home. She said to her, Gaelic is a very beautiful language. She said, it's a pity you have not the Gaelic, for there are 50 words for darling, and my father would be calling me every one of them the night I came home. And that's the way God's love is. And the biggest love that he shows to us is the love that comes to us when we come back to him and know the forgiveness of sin. 
Well, the session met that week. This is after the girl has been restored. The session met that week, and a young girl broke down utterly because she was being examined to come to the Lord's table. Even Burnbray, who was the kindest man on the session, could not get a correct answer out of her. She arose in great confusion and sorrow, and she said, I see it would not do for the likes of me to go forward and take the Holy Supper, but I wanted to so much because it was the last thing Jesus ever asked of his friends. Mr. Moderator said Lachlan Campbell. Now, he was the severest person on the session. It's a great joy for me to make the motion that Mary McFarlane receive her token and come to the Lord's table. I will be wishing that we all had her love for Jesus, for there's no other reason for coming to the table so good as to have the love such as she has. And there is something that I must be asking of this session. It is to forgive me for my pride. I was thinking that I knew more than any man in all the town, and I was judging God's people. But God has had mercy upon Simon the Pharisee, and you have all been very good to me and Flora. The scripture has been fulfilled, so the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. And then the minister turned and asked Burnbury to pray. And I wish you could hear our session pray some night. And the Spirit of God descended in the session room. And the old man with a simple heart prayed this prayer. Almighty God, we are thy poor and sinful children who wearied of home and went away into the far country. Forgive us, for we did not know what we were leaving or the sore heart we gave our Father. It was a weary work to live with our sins, but we would never have come back had it not been for our elder brother. That's Jesus. He came a long road to find us, and a sore travel he had before he made us free. He's been a good brother to us, and we've been a heavy charge to him. May he keep a firm hold on us and guide us in the right road and bring us back when we wander and tell us all we need to know until the gloaming comes and gather us in then, we pray, and all we love, not a child missing. And then may we sit down forever in our own Father's house. Amen. Let us conclude our worship today by praying together the Lord's Prayer as the benediction. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. <laughs>